another Bible word that means the same thing as the Christ, um, which means the long-awaited king of Israel. But if you were a first century Jew in the time and when which the Gospels were written, and you showed up to your synagogue on a Sabbath morning, um, and, and you noticed Jesus come in and stand at the front and teach from the Torah, teach from the scrolls, then you, the odds are that the category you would put Jesus in would be rabbi, which means teacher. When I write the word rabbi, it really makes me think of the word rabbit, because it's just one letter different. It's nothing to do with rabbits. It's just that I look at it and I think, rabbi, rabbi. Anyway, a rabbi is a Hebrew word, which means teacher. And a rabbi was a teacher who would travel around from village to village and from synagogue to synagogue, and with his own sort of yoke or his own set of teachings on the Torah, which was the Bible of his day. And in the time of Jesus, rabbis in their spheres were a little bit like rock stars in first century Jewish culture. Now, you all have your favorite rock stars, and it depends on your age and taste as to who your musical hero might be. People of my generation seem to like people like Bruce Springsteen. Um, personally, I'm a Bono fan. I don't know if I've mentioned that before, but... Um, <laughs> If you're a bit younger, maybe you're into Coldplay and Chris Martin is your guy, or maybe you're a Taylor Swift fan, or if you're really hip and current like some of our teenagers, maybe you're into the 1975. Um, he's, this guy, Matty Healy, seems to be one of the current rock stars who are right at the top of their game right now. But anyway, as famous and as celeb celebrated as these guys are, none of them has anything on the hype of a first century Jewish rabbi. And that's who Jesus was in his time, a young, brilliant rabbi or teacher. And over the years, this idea has been, hasn't been, it's been recognized by some, but not been recognized by everyone. There are plenty of people who would say to you, yes, Jesus was a great teacher. Actually, sometimes when people say Jesus is a great teacher, that's kind of code for he was a great teacher and nothing more. That's all he was. You know, he was like Buddha or some wise guy, or some oracle. He had wise sayings. He had interesting, radical ideas. You know, he might have led a revolution or two, but he was not the son of God or the Messiah or any of that stuff. In other words, people want to emphasize Jesus' humanity. And sometimes when they talk about Jesus as a teacher, that's what they're doing. They're emphasizing his humanity over his divinity. And of course, the other side of that is that people say, no, 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 Jesus was the son of God. Jesus is the embodiment of the living God. He's the Messiah. He really was from God. And of course, we, we believe that's true and we know it's true. But the odds are, if you grew up in a conservative church where they talked a lot about Jesus being the Son of God or Jesus the Messiah, probably they didn't talk very much about Jesus as a teacher because there was this kind of debate going on, this argument in the church. And that kind of thinking of the aspect of Jesus was, was a little bit sidelined, even now. People might think of Jesus as the son of God, but don't actually think of him as somebody who's really smart, somebody who's really worth learning from. And yet Jesus is one of the most intelligent and brilliant humans ever to live. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the idea of Jesus as a teacher, Jesus as a rabbi, and on the flip side, what that means for us, for you and I to be disciples of Jesus, the rabbi. But in case you think I'm getting heretical, I just want to clarify all of what I said is true. You know, Jesus is also the Son of God. He was both human and divine. He was definitely the Messiah. When I talk about Jesus the teacher, I'm not doing it to the exclusion of the other stuff. We're going to get to that in the next few weeks. We're not ignoring that at all. But we just want to look at this aspect this morning of what it is to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus the rabbi, Jesus the teacher. And by the way, a lot of this material comes from a really, really bright young pastor guy called Mark, John Mark Comer, who's in... Portland, Oregon. I've nicked some of his material um, and um, put my own spin on it this morning. I want us to read four short passages from the Gospel of Mark. I've put them up here, um, but just so you know they're in the Bible, you can look for yourself as well. Um, you can find it on your phone or you can find it in a Bible. We're going to start off with Mark chapter 1 and verse 16. I'm just going to read four different passages from the book of Mark. So as Jesus began, it says here, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. If you've been around the church, you may have read this a few times. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Jump over to Mark chapter 2 and verse 13. Once again, Jesus, oh sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And just so you know, that phrase, follow me, if you go back to the original, it could also be translated as Come, become my disciple. Okay, that's another way that you can translate that phrase, become my disciple. We might think of Jesus as a teacher, and we might think of a teacher as someone who stands in front of a class, somebody who uh, imparts information. And that's part of what he does. But there's so much more to Jesus the teacher than just that. And so um, let's look over to Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. Uh, Jesus went up a mountainside. And he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, that they might be with him. Just make a note of that phrase, that they might be with him. We're going to come back to that in a bit. And that that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. And then there's a list of names. These are the 12 who Jesus appointed, Simon, James, Zebedee, Andrew, Philip, etc., the disciples. Do you remember that phrase? He called them that they might be with him. And then one more passage before we launch in, and that's from Mark chapter 8. So again, just a couple of pages further in the text. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So in story after story, we read about Jesus calling people to himself. He's calling them. He isn't saying, what's he calling them to? He's not saying, hey, believe in God. Go to church every now and then. Maybe at Christmas. (laughs) Live a semi-moral life and then go to heaven when you die. That wasn't the message that Jesus was putting out, even though sometimes in the church we think, seem to think that's the message that Jesus was putting out. What was Jesus saying? The call was simple. It was, follow me. Or another way to put that is, come, Jesus says, and be my disciple. Now, I need to give you a bit of context here. The word disciple in Hebrew is the word Talmudin. And it can be translated a few different ways. Disciple is one of the most common ways of translating it. You could also translate this word as follower or a student, but not follower like someone who follows you on Instagram, and not student in the sense of, yeah, I sit in a class and I get a bunch of notes and write a bunch of notes and listen to lots of lectures and then I'm qualified. Okay, Actually, it means so much more than that. In fact, the best word in the English language currently that captures the best meaning behind this Talmudin is the word apprentice. To be a Talmudin was to be an apprentice, to live your life under, your entire life under the shadow of your rabbi, your teacher. So I've, I've just got to give you a little bit of a history lesson so that we really get this. So discipleship, the idea of discipleship, of a rabbi having disciples, is not one that Jesus came up with. He didn't invent it. This was happening way before Jesus. Jesus wasn't the first rabbi to have disciples, or the last. In fact, it didn't even start in Israel. We think, as far as we can tell, it started in Greece with Socrates and Aristotle. Discipleship or apprenticeship was really common in the first century Mediterranean world. And it's very different from the kind of discipleship that we might think about if we've been around the Western church in the last 20, 30 years. And we did talk a bit about this last year, but it's really worth revisiting because it sets the rest of this series on Jesus in a really great context. And actually, the way that we think about our relationship with Jesus and how we learn from him. If we really look at this, this idea of apprenticeship, this idea of discipleship, I think it actually has the potential to really make a difference in the way that we live, in the way that we relate to Jesus in this century. And so, very quick history lesson. In the time of Jesus, disciples, and what you have to know to understand this is you have to look at the Jewish education system. So in the first century, discipleship was the pinnacle. It was like the level three of the Jewish education system. Level one was called Beit Sefer, meaning house of the book. And essentially, what that is, is that's primary school for Jewish kids, okay? 
Um, and so if you're a, a kid and you grow up in um, Israel, you will be taught the Torah. The Torah is the law. We now know that as the first five books of the Bible. And basically, school, if you're a Jewish kid um, in Israel, is memorize the first five books of the Bible. Memorize the Torah. Learn the law. Okay? It was an oral culture, so you learned it by rote. You learned it in your head. And once you did that, around the age of 12, for most people, education is over. Okay? And around that age of 12, if you're female, you get married, you start to bear children by the age of 13 and 14. Don't get thinking any ideas, you teenagers. Um, and if you're a male, you would go into the family business. But if you were really good, like the best of the best, you'd move on to the second level, which is called Beit Talmud, or the house of learning. Now, unfortunately, I'm sorry, no women were invited to this. This is young men aged 12 to 14. And the school would be built off the synagogue, and you would learn every day from the local scribe. And if you were in this level of learning, you would learn not just the first five books of the Bible, but the whole of the Old Testament. Okay? So that's the whole of the Old Testament in your head by the age of 14. Okay? Genesis to Malachi memorized. I'm struggling just to read it. Never mind, memorize it. Okay? And after that, that was your education done. And you went on to work and things. But if you were the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the Oxford or Cambridge scholarship kind of material, if you were the absolute top student, you could become a Talmudin or an apprentice of the rabbi, the best of the best of the best. But this was really hard to get into, and you would have to go off your own bat, really, and you would have to search for a rabbi, and you would follow him around for a bit. So this is something that you went and pursued. They didn't pursue you, you pursued them. Okay? And the rabbi would grill you with questions. He would, he would really grill you on how well you knew the Torah, how well you knew the rest of the Old Testament. Are you up to speed on that? Are you familiar with Rabbi Halal's take on the Nephilim? Uh, what about Rabbi Shammah? Well, who do you think is right in this debate? And he would grill you to see if you were smart enough. And if he thought after a few weeks that you were smart enough and that you had a knack for it, if he thought you had the acumen and the intelligence and the drive and the work ethic, if he thought you were a type A personality enough so that one day you could become a rabbi yourself, then he would say, okay, come Follow me. Come and be my disciple. Come and be my apprentice. Now let's say that you were in that top 1% and you made the cut and you became the apprentice of a rabbi. If that's the case, then you would have three goals. I'm sorry, I didn't produce any handouts today, but if you're taking notes, it would be worth making a note of these three goals. Goal one was simply to be with your rabbi. Think of that line that I, I, I read. You know, it said, he, he called them to follow him. What did it say? That they might be with him. You see, apprenticeship was a 24-7 deal. Literally, you follow your rabbi around from village to village, from synagogue to synagogue, and when he's teaching, you're sitting there listening and taking notes, or mentally taking notes. You wake up in the morning, you'd be with him. You go to bed at night, you'd be lying next to him. You'd eat three meals a day at his side. You would sleep at his side. You were with your rabbi all day, every day. There's this really well-known Hebrew blessing in the first century, and it goes, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And basically, most of the teaching that actually happened wasn't done in a classroom. It was done while you were on the road, moving from village to village. And your rabbi would walk out in front, and the group of disciples would walk behind, and they would walk slowly, and he would be teaching you, and you would be having a discussion as you went along, you would talk and you would converse all day long about the scriptures. And if it was a good day, you would literally be covered head to toe in the dust of your rabbi. And that was a real honor at that time. So the first goal of an apprentice was to be with the rabbi. The second goal was to become like the rabbi. Jesus has this line in Luke where he says, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will become like their teacher. That's the goal. Every student, every apprentice of Jesus, the goal is one day to become like your rabbi, to become like your teacher. That's what apprenticeship is. Now, in our culture, it's a bit different, isn't it? In this culture here, you know, if you want to make a name for yourself, if you want to grow, then basically it's all about who you are, being unique, being true to yourself. You need to stick out from the crowd. You need to make a name for yourself. Who are you? Who are you going to be? 
That's the kind of culture that we grow up in today. But that's not the world that Jesus was born into. If you were an apprentice, your aim was not to stand out from the crowd. It was literally to become a carbon copy of your rabbi. You'd not only follow his every move around, you'd imitate his tone of voice. You'd dress the same way as he did. You'd even have the same mannerisms. I mean, that sounds a bit creepy to us now, doesn't it? But that's how it was. I know one or two... um, I know one or two church leaders, and it makes me smile when I look at the people around them and notice that they dress the same way as the leaders do. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about Stu and Chloe Glassborough from uh, Catch the Fire. They, they wear amazing shoes. Stu wears amazing shoes. And all the guys who are with him wear amazing shoes. <laughs> and none of them wear trainers. They don't wear trainers. They wear shoes because they, they, they want to be like the guy who they're following, which is not how I would do it. I don't wear any shoes, so don't follow me. Um, yeah, thanks. Anyway. No, 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 you can do it. There you go. Oh, Paul and Katie, bless you. <laughs> so you've got these two goals. Be with your rabbi, become like your rabbi. And the third goal of any disciple is to do what your rabbi did. Yeah? And that, the, 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 fourth, the last reading that we, I read to you, the end goal, Jesus' end goal, was to send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. That's what Jesus had been doing. He'd been preaching and driving out demons. And there's a time coming when James, Peter, and John, it would be their turn to do exactly the same thing. The whole point of apprenticeship is for you one day to become like, to become a rabbi yourself after years and years. And if you followed your rabbi around and if you made it through the program, if you made the cut and when you were ready, he would turn to you and he would say something like, hey kid, I believe in you. I think you've got what it takes. Now go and make disciples. Does that sound familiar to you? That's the language of a teacher talking to his students, a, a rabbi talking to his apprentice. Okay, that's the history lesson over. You see, when Jesus trains his disciples, he's not just teaching them the scriptures. He's not just downloading a bunch of information into their brains. It's not like a lecture or a textbook. He is doing something which any respected Jewish rabbi would do. He's teaching them with his life. He's He's not just saying, listen to me. He's saying, follow me, be with me, become like me. His whole life was his teaching tool. Now, if you bring that into a 21st century context, the one that we live in, in our modern progressive environment, wherever we are, wherever home to us is Winchester or wherever you've come from. You know, Jesus is still calling disciples to himself, isn't he? He's still calling us to follow him. He's still inviting us to become his apprentices, to follow him and to learn his ways. And so to be an apprentice of Jesus today, you and I have exactly the same three goals that an apprentice did back in the day, a rabbi. So number one goal for an apprentice is to be with Jesus. Our first goal, and I would argue our most important goal, as those who want to follow him, as those who want to apprentice to him, is to be with him. How does that work? Well, obviously, we're not literally physically with him because he's not physically here. We can't literally follow him around because as we read at the end of the Gospels, he went back to heaven after his resurrection. resurrection. But, but as you, if you read on, you find in Acts that he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus is leaving, he says, I'm going goodbye, I'll be with you always. I'm going goodbye, I'll be with you always. And you think, that's a bit weird. Is it like Rent-A-Ghost or something? I, I don't know. It's a bit confusing until you find out that it's the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit, who can also be called the Spirit of Jesus. And so when we're with the Spirit, we're with Jesus. And that means that the first and primary goal of those of us who want to be apprentices to Jesus is to literally, simply be with him. Be with the Spirit. Baseline for everything. Step one in the kingdom of God. Be with Jesus. Now, if you've been around here before or if you've read the Bible, you'll know this passage in John chapter 15. And I don't have time to read the whole thing. But Jesus talks about the picture that he uses to describe this relationship is that of a vine and its branches. And the branches grow fruit. How many? Now, I know it's not really vine kind of country around here, is it? Oh, is it? Bless you. Thank you, David. Thank you. Not for many of us, only for you farmers who know what you're doing. But how many people like to drink wine? Come on, own up. Yeah, there you go. So if you get a vine, obviously you've got the main vine. 
and then you've got the branch, and then you've got the fruit, the grapes. And you only get the fruit if the branch is in the vine. Yeah? And the word Jesus uses is abide with me, or remain in me. That phrase, or live in me, or stay in me, that's what he says. It's verse, it's happened, it comes a couple of times. Verse four, it comes, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Stay close to me. Remain in me. His metaphor for how you and I are to relate with the Spirit of God is like a branch abiding in the vine. That's a really powerful metaphor. And there's all kinds of other phrases or other language that we could use throughout the Bible and throughout church history. They've used lots of different phrases to try and capture this sense of this kind of relationship with God. Jesus calls it abiding or remaining. Paul in the Bible calls it prayer without ceasing. So it's ongoing, it's 24-7, it's continuous. You're living in the power and the presence of God. Our Catholic brothers and sisters call it contemplation or contemplative prayer or contemplative spirituality. And this medieval mystic writer called Brother Lawrence used this beautiful little phrase in a book that he wrote called Practicing the Presence of God. And I, I quite like that. I mean, you can use any language you like to describe it. I like this one because, very simply put, living this way does take practice, doesn't it? I mean, especially if you have a job or a smartphone or you live in the city or you have small children or you have to commute to work or any one of another hundred other things that crowd in on our lives. I don't think this comes naturally for most people and it certainly doesn't come naturally for me. But let me read you a quote from a philosopher called Dallas Willard who says this, the, most, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. He's very kind, isn't he? That's quite a nice way of saying we kind of miss it or mess it up. But these habits, he goes on, not the law of gravity. These habits are not the law of gravity and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon, our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. I love that. I love that. I could probably just leave you with that to read that and think about it for five minutes and we'll move into communion. <laughs> Not quite yet. <laughs> Living in a constant state of awareness and connection to the spirit of God all day takes practice. And that doesn't come naturally for most of us. We think about spiritual disciplines. You know, some of us are real list people, aren't we? You know, maybe you've got a tick list. Read my Bible today. Tick. Pray to God today. Tick. Done. Boom. Move on. But that's not what the spiritual disciplines are about. They're a means to an end, a way of ordering our lives around this habit of abiding in God. I have a friend, and he used to write in his diary twice or three times a week at the top of each page, DSR. And it stands for Do Something Romantic. He knew that he loved his wife. He knew that he wanted to show his wife that he loved her, but he got kind of you know, busy with life and busy with work and focused and a bit forgetful sometimes. So he just wrote in his diary and made it a habit. And practicing the presence of God is simply about making a habit out of being with God. About creating space to say, God, I'm here. You're here. I've not been here, I've been on Instagram or reading my email or sitting in traffic or sorting out the kids or watching Netflix or doing the chores or whatever it is, trying to fix the Wi-Fi router. <laughs> but I've not been with you and now I am and you're here and we're together. We have ways of doing this. Jo likes to get up in the, early in the morning, she likes to go and sit and have a cup of tea and be quiet. One of my favourite ways to do it is to put a worship track on and I have this one particular worship track that I love and Joe hates, okay? And, um, and what happens is it's a spontaneous song from a Bethel recording, and Jen Johnson comes on at the beginning, and she goes in a very American voice. What is it she says? Just press into him tonight. 
And Joe hates it. She's like, Ugh! and I'm like, no, no, this track always makes me remember to worship God together, me and him. So it makes her laugh and it makes me focus on God. So we're all right. We have busy lives. We have busy brains. We've been talking this week with the young people that I mentioned earlier about this, the prayer of examine. It's a simple framework which can help anyone connect with God in a really short space of time. We have the, we've mentioned this in the last few weeks and we have these cards available. And if you'd like to take one, there's a few at the back. Um, but if you have the time, search up this YouTube video. I've put the link to this on our church Facebook pages this morning as well, but just search it up um, and take eight minutes of your life to learn a very, very simple framework about how to pray and how to be with God. The first goal is simply to be with Jesus. The second goal of an apprentice is to become like Jesus. Okay? Out of that place of being with him, of abiding in the vine, our next goal is to become like him. Back in the day, we used to use terms like sanctification or we might use the phrase spiritual formation. And again, Dallas Willard says this, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. By the way, spiritual formation isn't a Christian thing. It's a human thing. We are all becoming formed. We are all growing, we are all becoming someone. No one stays the same. To be human is to, di- is to be dynamic, <laughs> not static. Um, I'm not the same person I was yesterday, and hopefully I'm going to change and evolve as I go into tomorrow. The question is not, are you being discipled? The question is, who, are you, who or what are you being discipled by? Let me say that again. The question is not, are we being discipled? It's who or what are we being discipled by? What kind of a person do we want to become? And who are we following and hanging out with to become that person? And if it's Jesus, if you want more of Jesus in our lives, then we have to spend time with him and we have to look at what that means to do the thing, to, to become like him. He sets a high standard. But the good thing is, We can practice. And in fact, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is a famous part in the famous passage in Matthew. And in it's about three chapters, and it kind of Jesus sets out like a really a whole bunch of teachings. Um, It's messy, it's down to earth, it's pretty radical. He assumes he's saying all this sort of stuff like, you know, this is how you live in God's kingdom. He, you know. But he assumes that we'll make mistakes and he assumes that we'll sin against people and he assumes that we'll need to ask for forgiveness and that other people will sin against us and even slap us on the cheek and that we'll get stressed out by stuff and that we'll get lustful and we'll get greedy. He's assuming all of that when he teaches, okay? And what's, but he still sets a high standard for living. And some people look at it and they say, God, that's a challenge, that's a high bar. I don't think I can even do that. It can't be done. And yet Jesus starts and finishes the Sermon on the Mount by talking about practicing. Up in Matthew 5, he says this, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these commandments and teaches us accordingly, we will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great. So in other words, Jesus is saying it's okay to practice this stuff. We're not going to get it all at once. And then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew 7, you'll, you'll know this passage if you've read the Bible a bit. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock and if you don't hear them and you don't put them into practice like a foolish man so he bookends all of his teaching in the sermon on the mount with this idea that that actually it's okay to be practicing and he assumes that the way of life that we're living as his disciples is going to take a lifetime of practice now if you're an athlete or a musician or you're good at anything particularly you'll know that you don't get really good at something unless you practice They say it takes 10,000 hours or something like that to become an expert in the field. So don't don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we've all got to go out and become amazing superstar disciples overnight. I'm saying it's okay to take time to practice this stuff. As Dallas Willard says, it's about trying. It's not about trying, it's about training. You know, it's about training. I watched this amazing thing yesterday, um, the uh, Ethiopian... Marathon runner, 
Kenyan, sorry, Kenyan marathon runner who uh, managed to break the record for running the marathon within two hours. Well, you don't get to be that guy just like that, do you? I mean, he's already tried that record a few times. You know, training is all about start here, get to there, do the next bit, start slowly, add a bit each week. That's how it works. And so the very last thing, okay, goal three. Goal three is doing the things Jesus did. We've talked about being with Jesus. We've talked about becoming like Jesus. And the central message of what Jesus said is, you know, basically you could summarize everything he said. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. That's right at the beginning of Mark. He says, reorder your life around this new reality, the kingdom of God, the rule or reign of God. And uh, what does it mean to do the things Jesus did? Well, I only have a minute, but I've got a list. And if you look through the Gospels, I reckon you can come up with about 10 things. And these, in summary, are the things that Jesus did. He preached the gospel. He taught the way of Jesus. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He ate and drank with people who are far from God. He, that says east, not eat. Should be eat. Um, he was he, peacemaker, prayer, prophesy, and stand up against religious and political corruption. If you read the four gospels, there's a summary list of all the things that we need to do to do the things of Jesus. Is anyone hyperventilating yet? Because that's quite a list, actually. But that's okay, because we're apprentices. We're not going to get there all at once. But let me read you this amazing story that Paul sent us this week. Now, Paul just sent this in from somebody he works with in Ethiopia. I'm just going to read the account that was sent to Paul. It says, this morning, one of our disciples... They call them disciples. Paul's been out there. He's trained some people in kingdom stuff, in doing this sort of thing. Um, this morning, one of our disciples, Kaseya, was sharing his testimony about what God had done. There have been about nine healings since he went back from training. Some of his friends now, now know that he's praying. And one day, a friend called him and told him that a woman is very sick in his, in his neighborhood, and he wants, to come, he wants to come over and pray for her. So he took one of his disciples with him and he went to the village and they arrived and they got to the woman and she had already died and the family was crying. And he got into the room with the disciple and they were told she is already dead. And he wasn't bold enough to say, we like to pray, but instead he said, let us prepare the body and let's get everyone out of the room. And when they'd all gone out, he and his disciples started praying and he said, the spirit of death go out. And in his first prayer, he saw the bed move. So the second time he commanded again, and the woman jumped, and the disciple kept her on the bed so she wouldn't fall off. And he continued to pray, and she started vomiting blood, and they cast out a demon from her, and they felt that it was the demon who had killed her, and she and her two daughters accepted Jesus. I mean, isn't that incredible? Praise God. You see, we learn to do the things Jesus did. That's what it is to be an apprentice of Jesus. I love the, I love the way that he uses the phrase disciple to describe the guy who's with him. Now, I don't know if I will ever see anyone raised from the dead, but I would love to be the kind of guy who doesn't stop trying and praying. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. And if we're apprentices to Jesus, then our goal is three or four years, a few more years down the line, decades down the line. In, you know, It isn't just, oh yeah, I read through the Bible and we did the year of biblical literacy and we learned it all. I mean, that's all great. We watched all the Bible Project videos. That's all great, but that isn't, it. That's impressive. It's fantastic. It'll be helpful, but it's just a means to an end. Because as apprentices of Jesus, we need to get to the point where we're out preaching the gospel, teaching the way of Jesus, healing the sick, casting out demons, doing justice, eating and drinking with people who are far from God, and the list goes on. And I want, I want my life to count. I want Jesus to reach the people in this town. I want to bring people to date night who aren't believers, but whose marriages are going to stay strong because we've got something to say there. You know, the short version of our church mission statement is we are getting to know Jesus better and we are bringing hope and life into our communities. And so our goal is to be with Jesus. Our goal is to become like Jesus. And our goal is to do the things Jesus did. Three very quick observations. Number one, Jesus invited them not to become a disciple. Uh, sorry, it's to become a disciple or apprentice. Jesus never invites them to become a Christian. In fact, the word Christian is only used about three times in the New Testament, and it's usually negative, whereas the word disciple is used about 250, 300 times, something like that. 
So he invites them to become a disciple or an apprentice. And in Jesus' time, you were either a disciple following him or you were in the crowd. And we need to decide which, which we're going to be. What does that look like for us? Secondly, Jesus' invitation was for anybody. When I described that process to you earlier, I said that it was only the cream of the cream of the best of the best who could come and be disciples to rabbis. Well, Jesus turned that on his head and said, anybody, anybody. You don't have to have any level of education or intellectual learning. You don't have to be any particular gender. You're a woman, sure, come. And lastly, disciple is a noun, not a verb, okay? We don't disciple people. We are disciples. So I'm done here. We're going to have communion together. Guys, why don't you, the guys who are playing this morning, why don't you come back? And uh, we're going to take some time to have communion. And um, I'm just going to ask these guys to lead us in a song first. And what we really want to do is just to allow space to meet with God. So... We'll sing together, and then if you've got kids, in about three or four minutes, I'd love you to go get them and bring them back. And we'll celebrate communion together with them, and we'll have some ministry time as well. We want to respect the, uh, and honour the, the children's leaders. Um, but why don't we stand together? And if you are somebody who's been coming to help lead communion this morning, as they start to sing, why don't you come up and we'll... Get prepared for that. Let's just pray together. Father, thank you for... Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for who you are. Lord, as we think about you as teacher, Lord, we want to follow you. Lord, we want to be apprenticed to you. I, for one, don't want to be in the crowd. I want to be right in there with the disciples. I want to be living my life with you, becoming like you, learning to do the things you did. And that, that, that call, that invitation is there for any of us. And so wherever you are in that, Maybe, maybe you haven't even got to the first stage. Maybe you're just like, I'd just really love just to be with Jesus. Well, this is a moment to say, to, to say yes to that. So thank you, Lord, for your presence. We do bless you. We do welcome you. We do welcome you. That last slide I put up said, um, if anyone wants to become my disciple, let's take up their cross and follow me. Let's take up their cross and follow me. The invitation is to lay down our lives in the same way that Jesus laid down his life. And it's to bring ourselves to him, to be with him. And as we celebrate communion in a few minutes, that's what we're going to do. But first, as these guys lead us, why don't we just put our lives back into the hands of Jesus again? Why don't we just come close? We might not even need to say anything. Just be with him.
writing and he reminds us he says I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when Jesus was betrayed he took some bread he gave thanks to God for it and then he broke it in pieces and said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Each occasion of us taking communion is an opportunity to proclaim and confess again. Here again I lay hold of all the benefits of Jesus's full redemption for my life and so in this moment take hold of his forgiveness his offer of wholeness his gift of strength and health and sufficiency and so Jesus we thank you that you died on the cross we thank you that you rose again and in your death and resurrection there is health and hope and freedom and healing you are all sufficient Jesus it might be you want to take a moment now just to say sorry for anything that's coming to mind that you know that you need his forgiveness for. And we know that when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so according to your confession, you're forgiven by Jesus. So we have four stations for communion. And when you're ready, if you'd like to go to one of the four corners, we've got gluten-free down at the front. And if you're somebody who knows and loves Jesus, wherever you've come from today, you're really welcome to come and take part. I encourage you to take some of the bread, to dip it into the wine on Jesus in your heart through faith and if you've got kids in kids ministry you want to go and get them and bring them back and we'd love to pray a blessing on them
Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your work amongst us. And now, why don't we stand together one more time. The guys have got a song to lead us in as we go out. And after we've sung, it may be that you feel like you've got some unfinished business with God and you would love someone to come alongside you and pray for you. And we would love to do that. But first, let us sing the song of worship together. And then feel free to go and get your coffee and to, to go. But if you would love somebody to pray for you, we would love to do that too. Over to you guys.